Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Sean Moran talking UNC basketball. Sean, last night Carolina was able to go into the Carrier Dome in Syracuse, and I'll use the term escape with a win because, you know, it looked like Carolina might run away with it, about 10 different times during that game, but Syracuse actually tied it up late and it took some heroics from Joel Berry to really seal the victory there. Yeah, I think escape is a, is a good word. Uh, it, was a, it was a fun game to watch. Obviously got a little, a little tight at the end, but always nice to go out on the road and come back with a victory. But, you know, if one of those three-pointers had gone down, it might have been a different story. But as we've seen time and time again, Joel Berry coming through in the clutch. What was going through your mind when Joel Berry got that steal after Syracuse did miss that that long three? So it, it looked like he he tried to go for the steal, didn't get it at first, and then kind of came back and got it. And the first thing that went through my mind was, wow, that was that looked like one of the easier steals I've seen, uh, just because it was on Syracuse's seven foot center. And you know that that's kind of the first thought that went through my mind. But then when he was driving and attacking the basket. I knew it was going to be a tough finish and how he didn't get blocked or, or fouled. Uh, I still don't know, but he, he got it in and, and that was the game right there. And then aside from Joel Berry, I think the other big talking point was Theo Pinson's game. And he actually hit two threes from the outside, which is a, just basically a cherry on top when it comes to Theo. But I thought the way that he attacked the basket was also key to the Tar Heels getting that victory. Yeah, I mean, Theo Pinson has been a, a huge key in, in kind of the turnaround after after the three-game losing streak. He had 23 points, uh, seven assists, and four rebounds yesterday. But yeah, he was definitely instrumental in, in attacking the zone defense from from getting in the middle and, and really distributing to bringing the ball up the court and letting Barry uh, set up from the three-point line. So it's, it's something we've talked about before and as have a lot of the inside Carolina posters, but Theo Pinson, he has the best uh, best vision on the team, and and the ball's been his, in his hands a lot more, and he's been really, really stepping up. And you know, I, I think it's probably a little too late, but he's really playing like an all ACC type player right now. But really, Theo Theo's been on a roll, and I I really think it got started kind of the NC State and Virginia Tech losses during NC State. You know, at the time he had his career high of 22 points and 12 rebounds, and then. Virginia Tech, he didn't score, but he had six rebounds and eight assists. So I think it was really in that stretch where he started to kind of understand his role and, and really understand what he can bring bring to the team, uh, even though he's not you know the outside shooter that a lot of the other guys are. Yeah, but I think Theo knows his role, and that's kind of key, especially when it comes to a Roy Williams offense. And speaking about the offense in the Syracuse zone, what did you see in terms of how successful the heels were in breaking down that zone, because from my eyes, 
you know, I don't have really the the basketball background here, but it looked like Carolina was really able to get what they wanted against that 2-3 zone. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it was surprising, but Syracuse came in uh, a very stout defensive team, and, and really UNC was was just getting a lot of open looks. Now, you know, Luke May and Cam Johnson and even Kenny Williams, they didn't have the games that we've been accustomed to, but overall, the they were getting a lot of unguarded looks, and and a lot of that was due to the spacing and and kind of overloading one side at times. Uh, I remember one play in particular where uh, Joe Barry was on the the left side of the wing, just just below Kenny Williams, and you know if if you get a guy like Kenny that can shoot at the top of the wing, and the the top man in the zone comes out, and and then you just swing it to Joel Barry, it's, it's difficult for a bigger guy to get out there that quickly, and. It seemed time and time again that Barry and some of the other guys were getting those open shots. And then, you know, when you have Theo Pinson in the middle or, or even Luke May, who, who's a good passer and, and has a soft touch from, from 12 feet, you know, it's, it's really beneficial to attacking, attacking that zone and, and getting good looks. And then you mentioned earlier that Theo Pinson kind of had a big turnaround after that NC State and the Virginia Tech loss. And I think, you know, that can lead us into our next talking point, which is just how the team has been able to turn around because what, maybe a month and a half ago, the heels were five and five in the ACC. A lot of people were jumping off of the bandwagon and, you know, saying that this was going to be a lost season, but now they're on a six game winning streak. And I think Theo has been a big part of that. But what do you think, Sean, has led to this just incredible late run? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a mix of factors, uh, just kind of going back to the three-game losing streak. You know, I I don't think they were necessarily good losses because you never want to lose, but there were things to take away from those games. We talked about Theo Pinson finding his role, and going into that Clemson game, I was really excited to see how he was going to play in that game with kind of more of the point guard or ball handling responsibilities, and all of a sudden, he goes out in the first minute. But while that game was a loss, I think it was really beneficial for both Barry and Cam Johnson. Barry had a great second half and finished with 27 points. And Cam Johnson really came into his own with 32 points that game. So, you know, the Clemson game, I think, was a big turning point just for those two guys to really, for one, Joel to get back on track and and Cam to to really integrate himself into the offense. Obviously, it's difficult coming into a new team and and, you know, having the injury to start the year. And then after that, everybody has kind of been rolling. Luke May has been, you know, pretty consistent throughout the ACC plays, had some you know, some great games and some poor games, but we all know what he's capable of. And, and really, everybody started to click as well. The ball's moving a lot quicker. You know, we're getting contributions off the bench. Sterling Manley's playing well. Play Tech is playing well in offense and in short spurts. So, you know, really, it's just been, I think, people finding their roles and, and getting comfortable and, and the ball starting to move a lot more. You've talked a lot about the offense, and I think that's for good reason, because Carolina, they are trying on defense, but I just feel that this is probably going to be one of the worst teams statistically that Roe Williams has ever coached on the defensive side, and I think that that's what led a lot to that three-game losing streak is the Heels were not able to simply score enough points, because even Syracuse was able to get open looks against Carolina and they hit a lot of them in, in their comeback. But at the end of the day, you know, Carolina just was basically able to have a little bit more juice on offense. Yeah, you know, the defense, if anybody's a, a Ken, Ken Palm fan, which I know a lot of people are, you can kind of see the defensive ranking decrease a little bit 
each game and and now they're ranked 43rd in the country which is even behind uh duke but yeah it's obviously the offense that is carrying them and and they have so much uh so much talent and and so much offensive firepower that as we saw yesterday even if one or two or, or three guys are off there's still other guys that you know defensively you know i, I did think joel barry was playing really tough d on the guards yesterday especially in, in crunch time and making it more difficult you know this hasn't someone I've looked at, but I know in their, their losing streak, it seemed they're just giving up open corner threes time and time again. And it seems like they've got a little better at helping and, and not, or not over helping and, and giving up those wide open looks. But, you know, each game, the defense has not really been the, the calling point, but, you know, we'll see how that, that trend continues. But I guess once the tournament time comes around, I think Sterling Manley will, will play a piece in that defensive effort uh, when he is in the game. Cause when he's not, they don't have any shot blocking presence. But when he is in the game, he kind of provides that along with the defensive and offensive rebounding abilities. So I think him him coming off the bench will will definitely be key uh, the rest of the year to kind of, you know, help on the defensive side, especially if the offense is going through one of those stretches. Uh, just going back to the Duke game where, you know, they're missing a lot of a lot of threes or a lot of jump shots in a row. And Sterling Manley has really impressed me these last few games. And I think you're completely correct, Sean, where his size is just a huge benefit because it's clear that Sterling is raw at this point. I mean, he's nowhere near a finished product, but when he is out there, it at least gives the heels a presence to, you know, get in a little bit into the minds of opposing guards that if they drive the if they drive into the lane, there's gonna be someone with size that's gonna be right there. They're gonna ha- they're going to have to finish over. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think his wingspan is something around around seven point or seven and seven feet, five inches. So he definitely brings brings that length. And and you said he was raw and he's definitely raw. And myself and I'm sure a lot of others have been pretty happy with with how he's come along, given nobody had really seen him in high school or or knew what to expect. But, you know, he's been he played great yesterday and and he doesn't have enough minutes to qualify. But on the offensive rebounding edge, he would be. Uh, top 10 in the country in terms of offensive rebounding efficiency. So he, he really does his damage um, and getting easy baskets off of uh, missed opportunities. But yeah, just providing that length on defense. And it's been nice to watch watch him grow. And I really think next year as a sophomore, he can really make kind of make that jump and, and uh, be more of a key to the offense next year. Absolutely. His growth is going to be very important next season. I've talked about that with Sherelle a couple of times. But let's uh, shift again, Sean, and start looking ahead to the Miami game that's coming up on Tuesday. Miami is coming off of a run of poor form here. They beat Wake Forest back on February 7th, but since then, their only win has been Notre Dame, and even then, that was only by three points. They actually lost to Syracuse, they lost to to Virginia, and they lost to Boston College before beating the Irish. And what do you expect to see out of the Hurricanes? Sure. Well, I know, I know Jim Laranega always loves to get up for, for UNC, and, and he's definitely had some su- success against Roy and, and UNC in the past, um, even at the Dean Dome. So despite Miami's record, I think it'll definitely be kind of a competitive, hard-fought game. You know, I think Miami has to be one of the, one of the bigger disappointments in the ACC, just given given the expectations and, and who they brought back with Bruce Brown and Jaquan Newton and Hull and, and Lonnie Walker, kind of the star freshman. Now, I know Bruce Brown has been out, which is, you know, a big loss, but Miami just hasn't hasn't lived up to that hype. But 
I know when they come to the Dean Dome and on senior night, they're going to bring their their slow style of play and, and their tough defense to to really make it difficult for UNC to to get out on get out on the break and, and run and, and kind of get the open looks that they've been accustomed to getting. You know, and I know on, on offense, Jim Laranega, he knows how to attack UNC and really get a lot of good looks from the corner um, and good looks from kind of high percentage spots. So I think it'll be a dogfight, but with two games left, Miami and Duke, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful that UNC should come away victorious on, on senior night. And actually, when you're talking about styles and everything, this is a little bit late. But the fact that Carolina was able to attack that Syracuse 2-3 zone, do you think that that will benefit them when they do play Duke, which, as you mentioned, Sean, is the last game of the season, and it's right around the corner? Yeah, it's it's right around the corner, and you know everybody's been uh, kind of talking about Duke and, and their win streak, and Duke winning without Bagley and and Duke's defense now that they've gone to the zone. But, you know, Duke and defense, those two words don't really go together. So I think, you know, going against the zone will, will always help just because most of the teams are, are playing man and, and aren't really going to zone. So I think it'll definitely help for the Duke game. But if UNC is moving the ball and, and attacking, you know, I still think with all the shooters they have on the perimeter that, that they're still going to get a lot of open looks. Now, you know, maybe they're not knocking them down like they did uh, the first game, obviously at Cameron, uh, hot gym, tight atmosphere. So, you know, they, they might not shoot as well, but they can still get to the basket and get open looks. So I think the zone is really just kind of hiding and masking Duke's deficiencies and in, in man-to-man and, and letting them kind of uh, play back and, and not really get beat off the dribble like they're accustomed to early on. So I, I think it'll definitely definitely help but I still think UNC with their shooters and offensive firepower you know should be able to do pretty well against uh against Duke it'll just be on the defensive end trying to avoid what we saw in the first half uh last time they played with you know Trent's been playing great and and Allen's been been shooting the ball a lot better now that Bagley's out and you know who knows what his deal is or when he's when he's actually coming back but that guy's you know he's gonna be a top top three to five pick in the draft so they have a lot of offensive firepower, so it'll come down to defense if, if you know, who can, who can get the stops in that game. Yeah, seeing Grayson Allen kind of regain his form is kind of disheartening to see for Carolina fans because even though in the game in Chapel Hill, he did not have his best performance, over the course of his career at Duke, Grayson Allen has just been a thorn in the side of the heels, and it seems as if he really relishes playing against that Carolina Blue. Yeah, and he's been, you know, over his last last four games, so ever since the North Carolina game, 23 against Georgia Tech, 25 against Virginia Tech, 19 against Clemson, and 28 the other day against Louisville. And he's been getting up 10 to 15 threes a game. So his usage rate has skyrocketed ever since Bagley went out. And who knows how that, that goes into effect um, once he comes back. But I think this being his senior night, he'll definitely be be pushing and, and trying to go out on a high note and, and beat the heels. And he has had success in the past. So, you know, I think he'll have a he'll have a good game. But once again, it'll come come down to defense. I think, you know, going back to the, the first game, Allen had one of the worst defensive performances I've I've seen in some time. And, you know, now that now that they're in a in the zone defense, um, as I said, it's a little mass, but can you know, which team can get the stops because both teams have a lot of shooting and a lot of firepower. All right, let's start wrapping this one up, Sean. 
And I wanted to close with talking about the All-ACC. So we've talked about a lot of really good players in the ACC during this podcast and just throughout the entire year. But I think this might be one of those years where Carolina has multiple names, even on the first team, All-ACC. But who do you have as your All-ACC guys right now? Sure. So this is kind of a, a fun topic for me and something I always love to look at during the year. And I know uh, kind of on Inside Carolina, everybody's or a lot of people are having that discussion. But I think it's really going to be difficult this year to actually come up with, with five guys early on in the year. I think Bagley was kind of a runaway player of the year, uh, and then he's been out the last four or five games. So he's only played 10 games. Uh, Granny put up uh, you know, ridiculous stats, uh, double-double leading the league in rebounding. So for now, I still have him on my first team, but I think he could easily get replaced with, you know, put in Wendell Carter, um, Gary Trent. You know, I think Grayson Allen will probably have a shot just because of his name. I, I don't think he really deserves it based on his his overall performance, but you never know. So, you know, right now, I think Luke May is, is definitely a lock. Bagley, I really like Devon Hall from, from UVA. I could see them getting no guys or, or maybe both Hall and, and Kyle Guy, uh, just given they're going to be 17 and one at the end of the year and, you know, a great regular season team. And, and Hall has been, been pretty fantastic. Uh, should be up for defensive player of the year. He's only scoring 11 a game, which is less than, than Kyle Guy, but has been much more efficient. Um, and Kyle Guy, if you look at his metrics, he's not even above 100, 100 offensive rating. So that's why I don't have him on my first team. But to some surprise, I'm going to go with Jerome Robinson for player of the year. I know this is probably not the likely choice is given BC's record, but his stats are absolutely out of this world. He's, he's leading the league and in points, um, almost 25 a game. and he's And he's doing it at a very kind of efficient, um, you know, efficient ways. I think 40, 46% from three, which is number three in the league, 61% from two, and number one in the effective field goal percentage. So he's been putting up great numbers, 46-1 game. I, you know, he, he played poorly against NC State, which is his first game in single digits. But right now he's been playing the most consistent. So overall, I'd have Robinson, May, Bagley, Hall, and then I'm going to have to go Joel Berry in my, uh, in my fifth spot, just given how he has been playing over the, the last stretch. and and he's putting out about 18 points a game in ACC play. Yeah, Joel Berry, I think, has worked his way onto the first team All-ACC, but I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that you're going with Hall instead of Ty Jerome, because you know Ty Jerome actually has a little bit of a better of the assist numbers. They're right there next to the scoring, but Ty Jerome, has he has more steals per game. So he's impressed me a lot this year, actually. Yeah, I mean, Ty Jerome is, is definitely, I know, he, you know, he came into UVA as a pretty highly regarded player and and came off the bench last year, but he's kind of turned into the guy that they give the ball to in the final seconds uh, to hit the big shot. And he definitely has hit the, the big shots. But when I watched UVA play, I just, I, I really like Hall. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he's, he's not a first teamer, maybe he's more of a second teamer, but, um, you know, he's shooting, I think he's uh, the top, three-point shooter on, on UVA, shooting 44% in conference, has 120 efficiency rating, and as I said, you know, should be up for defensive player of the year. So I think he's been really the most consistent player on that team. But, you know, as I said, I think you could you could see two UVA players on it, just given kind of amazing record in conference play, or 
maybe you have a situation uh, like UNC a few years ago where you just have a lot of players on the second team. But I think that's why it makes it a difficult, uh, difficult discussion and, and something that will be fun to debate over the next week. And, and even when the teams are decided, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people arguing for player X or player Y. So it should make for a fun conversation over, over the next week or so. Yeah, I think, though, it's fair to say that most people would have three kind of locks on the first team. Jerome Robinson, Luke May, and Marvin Bagley. I think that yeah. that's pretty fair. It's those two remaining slots on the first team that are open. And as you said, there's a ton of candidates for them. But let's talk about Theo Pinson, because I think he might work his way up to potentially second team all ACC. And I would be very disappointed if he didn't at least make one of the all ACC teams. Yeah. You know, think, I think it's a little too late for him to make, uh, make the first team, but I could definitely see him, see him making the second team at the very least the third team, um, you know, on the, on the broadcast last born Dan Dakich fans, but he was kind of, uh, he was, he was, you know, he was kind of getting on Pinson for not being able to shoot and, and maybe not the defensive player that people think he is, but he was saying, you know, he's one of the smartest players in the league and, and really kind of the guy that makes, makes the ship go. And, you know, to me, to, to watch Theo, who came in as, as the five-star uh, recruit and, and struggled with injuries and, and shooting. And, and now he's kind of, you know, really found, found his niche of, you know, scoring plus rebounding plus assists and you know if we were just to look at the past four games or five games he'd definitely be first team all ACC but unfortunately there's kind of that that early stretch where he was still uh you know trying to figure figure it out but yeah I would say I would say second or, or third team at the at the very least just because you know when you when you look at the ACC there's UVA at the top and then UNC and Duke and then I'd say a lot of kind of eight or eight or nine seeds that will probably get bounced in the first round. Uh, Clemson won't be that low, but I don't necessarily think Clemson and Louisville are, are that good. And, you know, they don't have, they have good players, Gabe DeVoe, et cetera, but nobody that's really kind of stepped onto the stage. Um, and then you have players like Brian Crawford, who plays for an awful Wake Forest team and, and Tyus Battle, who's scoring 20 a game, but not very efficiently. So you know, I think uh, there's a lot of players to be named, and, and it'll be be challenging to come up with those last last two spots. But who knows? We'll see what we'll see what the next week brings. That could provide a lot of clarity to to the picture. Well, hey, Sean, I really appreciate you coming on with me today to talk UNC hoops. But you know, do you have anything coming up on on your side uh, about UNC basketball? Uh, sure, John. Well, thanks a lot for having me. And I'm sure you know a lot of a lot of Carolina fa- fans might find this interesting. But last week I did a podcast with Drew Russell, who's the vice president of sports properties at Intersport, and he is one of the kind of the creators and one of the main guys putting on this new three-on-three basketball tournament that everybody will be hopefully watching this. But we just chatted for about 20 minutes uh, about how the event was set up and some potential teams, uh, ACC and, and some other teams where uh, we were kind of selecting the seniors that we thought might make it. But Drew's a Carolina grad, so it was fun to chat with him on the podcast. But people can find that at Sean Mo Hoops, S-E-A-N-M-O-Hoops.com uh, and, and give it a listen. All right. Thanks, Sean. Well, I appreciate it, man. We'll definitely talk uh, about Carolina again in the near future. And to get coverage on UNC basketball, check out the InsideCarolina.com basketball premium message board. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. 
your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.